You're listening to audio from Northway Church. For more information about Northway and additional resources, please visit northwaychurch.com. Like Cassie said earlier, I want to welcome all of you who are here and who may be visiting, celebrating uh, with these families or perhaps celebrating uh, a person who's being baptized today. It's a very important part of being able to witness to the grace of Jesus that we are able to celebrate these new lives and also uh, to rejoice in the new life that has been given through faith in Christ. Uh, And what I want to do with our time this morning is think a little bit about what baptism means and what we are about to observe as uh, these folks step into the water and declare their story of salvation in Christ. So a couple of passages that are going to help shape this time This will be on the screen, so you don't have to turn there since it's two different places, but it's Matthew 28, verses 19 through 20, and Romans 6, verses 3 and 4. So let me read these texts, and then we're going to jump in. Matthew 28, verses 19 through 20, we see Jesus, after his resurrection, commissioning his disciples, and he says this, "'Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.'" And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Then Romans 6, verses 3 and 4. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So during our time today, I want to answer this question. What is baptism? This question is important for many reasons. First, we need to know what we are observing when someone is baptized. Second, we need some sense of what baptism means in relation to the church, both for the one being baptized as well as those who celebrate one's baptism. Third, we need a clear understanding of how baptism expresses a person's faith in Christ. And lastly, we need to grasp what is being proclaimed about the gospel through baptism and what is the commitment of the one being baptized. So let's think a little bit more about this question, what is baptism? We can start with a simple definition. Baptism is an outward proclamation of an inward reality. This is actually a very universal definition. Throughout church history, Christians have been baptized, and they have baptized others. Some have baptized infants, while others baptize only believers in Christ. Some of us were raised in these respective traditions, which has influenced our understanding. However, regardless of context or era, baptism is a universally agreed upon sign. You will find some semblance of this statement. Baptism is an outward declaration of an inner reality. You'll find this at the core of baptism ceremonies in Christian settings wherever you are. Yet if we were to remove outside influence, either from history or tradition, finding ourselves in a place where the only understanding we had about baptism came from the Bible itself, how would our definition change 
Would it expand or would it contract? We would all likely still affirm that baptism is an outward proclamation of an inward reality, but we would probably recognize that more must be said. Perhaps as we surveyed the scriptures, we might come to the following definition. Baptism is a rite of inclusion given by Jesus, whereby a believer in Christ is immersed in water as a visible sign of their faith in Christ's work for salvation and as a declaration of their commitment to live for Christ. So let's take this definition and break it down by parts. First, baptism is a rite of inclusion. This simply means that baptism is an act that brings a person into something, namely the church. When Jesus says in Matthew 28, go therefore and make disciples, baptizing them, he is helping us to understand very clearly that baptism does not make a person a Christian. Disciples are made, Christians are made by proclaiming the gospel and responding with faith. However, according to this same passage, Jesus helps us to see that baptism does recognize a person as a believer in Christ. Disciples of Jesus are to be baptized as a display of their relationship to him. What we will also see in the New Testament is that baptism brings a believer into fellowship with God's people. In the book of Acts, every time the gospel was preached and we see accounts of numerous people coming to Christ, they were baptized and they were added to the number of believers. Notice the progression. They believed, they were baptized, and they were brought in. This helps us to see that baptism is not an individual act alone. It's a cooperative one. To be sure, a person may elect to be baptized on their own and apart from a body of believers, but this is actually a modern convention rather than a biblical one. It's hard to be included into something if we are the only one participating. This is why throughout church history, baptism is always linked with belonging, regardless of tradition. At Northway, baptism is a requirement for membership in the church because we believe membership is the most helpful mechanism for recognizing who belongs to our body. And that is something that is symbolized by baptism. In addition, we encourage everyone being baptized to do so as part of our gatherings. We get to celebrate with them and it comes from our recognition that because we are being welcomed into the body of Christ, this is a celebratory event to be shared among the body of Christ. Just as a wedding has witnesses, so too should a baptism be accompanied by those who can most rightly celebrate it. And so baptism is a rite of inclusion. But next, baptism was also given by Jesus. This is what we read in Matthew 28, where Jesus instructed the apostles to go and make disciples and to baptize them. Again, Baptism does not make a person a Christian. It is not necessary for salvation. But as we look at Jesus' words, we must admit that even though baptism is not necessary for salvation, it is necessary for obedience. Growing up, I was a part of a church tradition that was baptistic, 
which means they practiced believer's baptism. Yet it was one that de-emphasized the role of baptism and its necessity. The implicit message was that because baptism was not necessary for salvation, it also wasn't functionally necessary in the life of a Christian. And so I spent several years leading and serving in this church having never been baptized. Many people there nurtured and guided me in my own development as a future shepherd, but what they did not tell me was that I should be baptized. It was entirely up to me to make that decision. What's missing here? No one helped me to understand that it is Jesus himself who declares that his followers are to be baptized. Baptism is not a human institution, but it is one that comes from God himself. As such, we have no more right to deny the necessity of baptism in the life of a Christian any more than we do the other commands that are just as binding to love God, to love others, to witness to the resurrection, and to grow in maturity and wisdom. But this leads us to an important question. Hardly anywhere do we see in church history the necessity of baptism being questioned. All throughout history, all throughout different traditions, we see this sign as essential. But there is, however, much disagreement on just who it is that is to be baptized. And so this leads us to the next aspect of our definition. Baptism is for believers in Christ. Both the New Testament and the witness of history affirm that the practice of the very first Christians was to baptize believers. However, this practice shifted over the centuries, and as a result, the recipients of baptism became younger and younger. Eventually, what became most common, even universal, was the practice of what we might call infant baptism or pedo-baptism. There have been various ways that infant baptism has been interpreted. Some traditions, such as Catholicism or even some of the early reformers, viewed infant baptism as bringing the recipient a special kind of grace. For some, baptism represented the removal of original sin. For others, baptism, at whatever age it occurred, was the point when a person received the Holy Spirit and was regenerated. The problem with these views is that they turned baptism into a kind of salvific work. Baptism no longer merely represented obedience to Christ and the declaration of one's faith, but it now became necessary in order to receive an essential aspect of God's grace and salvation. The other problem is that nowhere does this understanding of infant baptism align with what Jesus and the apostles taught and practiced as it relates to baptism. Eventually, a reformer named Huldrych Zwingli. Is that a fun name? Huldrych Zwingli, who lived from the late 15th to the early 16th century, he popularized a view of infant baptism that saw it as depicting the covenantal unity of the Old and New Testaments. In the Old Testament, God gave circumcision as the sign that set his people apart from the other nations. For Zwingli, baptism replaced the sign of circumcision, but it essentially meant the same thing. His basic premise, according to theologian Timothy George, was this, just as the children of God's people were circumcised in the Old Testament as a sign of the covenant, 
So the children of believers in the New Testament should be baptized as a sign of their ingrafting into the Christian church. This is the view that is communicated by our Presbyterian brothers and sisters, as well as in many other traditions which practice infant baptism, but nonetheless represent true believers in Christ. But again, we must face the issue that such an interpretation does not actually surface as we read Scripture. Even in the one place where circumcision and baptism are referenced in the same passage, the clear sense is that baptism is to be expressive of a transformed life because it comes after one's faith and it reflects that person's commitment to live for Christ. Listen to what Paul says in Colossians 2, verses 11 and 12. In him... You were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. In this sense, baptism cannot represent a continuity between the Old and New Testament covenants because it is only referred to in Scripture as something connected with the transformation that comes by faith in Christ. This is something that an infant, as beautiful and tender as they are, cannot possess. This is why at Northway we ask that any who have not been baptized as a believer in Christ pursue this step of obedience in becoming a member. It is also why we ask those who may have been baptized in traditions that distort a biblical understanding of baptism and make it something necessary for salvation, we ask them to be baptized as a believer on the basis of the free gift of salvation in Christ. The reason for this is simple. If you believed your baptism to be necessary for salvation, then salvation is no longer wholly the work of God in Christ. Instead of the gospel being the good news about Jesus, it becomes the good news about Jesus and my righteousness. And that is no gospel at all. So to hear me say this may feel uncomfortable or restrictive, but it's actually part of the rationale that gave rise to the modern Baptist movement in the first place, way back in the 1500s. Men and women searched the scriptures And they became convinced that infant baptism, as it was understood in those days, did not accord with the truth of Scripture. And under great threat of persecution and even death, many boldly chose to be baptized as believers in Jesus Christ because they saw baptism as a matter of great importance to the integrity of the gospel. They were willing to suffer so that the glory of God would not be threatened. Now, what this means, if you consider yourself to be part of Northway, but have been reluctant to pursue membership because it would require you to be baptized as a believer, you have an opportunity to search the Scriptures to see whether or not what I am saying rings true. Some who are baptized here were baptized as infants, and they have come to embrace believers' baptism because they see it in the Bible. Others recognized that their baptism, even if there was some semblance of faith in their life, was nonetheless from a tradition that treated baptism as a means to salvation. Still others have had to acknowledge that they simply never saw it as an important issue. 
And to all of these potential objections, we have to ask, is Jesus asking me to obey him? Am I called to obey him before my family or my tradition, before my fears or my worries, or my embarrassment about how I may be seen or perceived? And if that's you, I just want to encourage you that it's better to obey Jesus later than never at all. We must also recognize that baptism is something about which believers may disagree. So even though we are a Baptist church, we love and we partner with many who hold to a different view on baptism because we are still united in the gospel. And so if you conscientiously hold to infant baptism, I would encourage you to pursue involvement in such a church where your beliefs are affirmed and to be faithful there. However, such respects for other traditions should not be a reason for us to avoid what we see as true in Scripture. Okay, next. Baptism is by immersion. It's actually a very short point. Okay? And it's that the verb baptizo in the New Testament always means to immerse in water or to dip. This is why you see us in the baptismal completely submerge someone in water. We're going to bring them right back out. We're not drowning them. Because this follows the pattern of the language of Scripture. Some who were baptized as true believers from a right expression of faith may have been baptized in a different mode from immersion. That's okay. While we baptize by immersion, we recognize that the more important factor is whether or not a person's baptism represented a true understanding of the gospel and the faith that precedes the act itself. And then two more points for us. Baptism declares one's faith in Christ. The most important of all of the different aspects of the definition we read earlier is that baptism is a declaration of the living faith of a person who has come to trust in the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. The one being baptized stands as a herald. He or she proclaims a stunning and inviolable reality. I once was dead in my sins and transgressions, but I have been made alive through Christ Jesus. In other words, baptism is an identity statement. In a world where identity is as malleable as clay in the hands of a potter, baptism proclaims something eternal. We are in Christ, and we stand and are immersed through baptism to testify to this remarkable grace. This is the way baptism has been communicated for centuries. The Baptist faith and message, which is a doctrinal statement that has its own roots in statements of faith that descend all the way back to the late 17th century, it will say this about the faith that is proclaimed through baptism. Baptism is an act of obedience symbolizing the believer's faith in a crucified, buried, and risen Savior. The believer's death to sin the burial of an old life and the resurrection to walk in newness of life in Christ Jesus. It is a testimony to his or her faith in the final resurrection of the dead. In baptism, we have an opportunity to testify of what Jesus has done and what he will do. Just as he put sin to death, 
through his own death, so too have we died to who we once were. Just as he rose to give life, so too do we rise as a picture of the new life we have received and which we await in its full consummation at his return. But then lastly, baptism declares one's commitment to live for Christ. Baptism is not merely a declaration. It is also a promise. Through baptism, a believer commits their life to Christ's service as King and Lord. Now, this does not mean that a person is free to live however they wish until they get baptized and then they're about Jesus. It is the visible representation of the change that has already occurred in their life, but it nonetheless represents the public promise. This is who I am in Christ, and this is how I will seek to live. No longer is a person to live in the corruption of the old self. They are to walk in that newness of life. Again, Timothy George will capture this when he says of baptism, it is the decisive transition from an old way of human life into a new way as an act of radical obedience in which a specific renunciation is made and a specific promise is given. In baptism, we commit our life to the Lord. We turn away from mixed allegiances and towards true devotion to Christ. This means that baptism is both a symbol and a pledge. We are declaring our commitment to follow Christ for our entire life. Of course, our growth in Christ is not entirely linear. We will struggle. And sometimes we will feel like there is so much left to pursue as believers. And so, of course, baptism is not a guarantee of perfection any more than we brought anything to the table when we were saved in the first place. It is a commitment to follow the leadership of our Lord. We are his disciples. He is our teacher. And he is with us every step of the way. So what is baptism? Yes, it is an outward proclamation of an inward reality. But even more, it is a right of inclusion given by Jesus, whereby a believer in Christ is immersed in water as a visible sign of their faith in Christ's work for salvation and as a declaration of their commitment to live for Christ. So let's pray as we prepare to see these testimonies and to celebrate what is being proclaimed through baptism. Pray with me. Father, we love you, and we thank you that we are able, by your grace, to see and celebrate the proclamations that will be made through baptism. Thank you for these brothers and sisters who are standing to proclaim the glory of the gospel the salvation that has been given to them in Christ, the forgiveness of their sins, the newness of life that Jesus has empowered them to pursue by your spirit. I pray that our hearts would be stirred as we hear of the faith you have given to these men and women and that we would be strengthened as a church. I pray for each of them as they share their stories, that you would give them courage, you would give them great confidence in your working. We ask it for your glory, for our good. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Northway Church. A podcast should never replace gathering with God's people to worship Jesus. 
So we want to encourage you to be a part of a local church family. We meet every Sunday at 9 a.m., 11.15, and 4 p.m., and would love for you to join us as we encounter the truth, beauty, and goodness of Jesus.